Some people have a, a hard time asking for help. Uh, young adults uh, thinking themselves to have arrived and can stand on their own are oftentimes hesitant to go to their parents to even ask for so much as advice or input on something. Uh, older parents thinking themselves to perhaps to be maybe a nuisance um, or a burden, not wanting, hesitating then to go to their children to ask for help as they get advanced in years. Uh, some people just have a, a hard time uh, asking for help. And that is a principle that applies on over into the realm of prayer in our relationship with the Lord. Um, we can hesitate. We can find ourselves slow to go to Him, uh, laying before Him, entrusting Him with our, our needs, our concerns, our cares. We, we wonder, perhaps, perhaps we're hesitant because we wonder if He really hears. Um, we may question uh, whether or not our needs are significant enough. We may question whether or not we are significant enough and whether or not he actually even cares. Jesus speaks directly into all of that in our text this morning. Here in Matthew chapter 6, uh, the latter part of what is oftentimes referred to as the, the uh, Lord's Prayer. So if you would turn there with me now, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 11 through 15 is what we're going to be delving into together for the next bit. Um, this is uh, Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. That's the first of the books of the New Testament. It's the first of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. That's uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 here in this section on prayer that uh, really we're going to read verses uh, 9 through 15, the Lord's Prayer, uh, and uh, some commentary that Jesus gives right after that as, as well. So, here now the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, going to read verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Would you pray with me? Lord, with the psalmist in Psalm 123, to you we lift up our eyes. Well, you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till He has mercy upon us. Lord, we are more dependent than we know, than in many cases we are willing to admit. Utterly dependent. Every sphere of life included in that dependency, needing all the time to look to You and rely upon You as our Father in Heaven. And we ask that You would impress that upon us more so even now, whether we are this is the first time we have heard this text or the umpteenth time we have heard this text. Uh, we ask that You would teach us and train us accordingly. Amen. 
Well, some of you may know that last weekend, uh, my family and I, we were off in Kansas. And uh, part of that, among many other far more important things, we made a visit to Oz. Well, not actually Oz. It was the Museum of Oz, the Oz Museum, precisely. And uh, there in the Oz Museum, among the displays, we had set before us, and we read and were educated quite a bit on all of the prequels and all of the sequels and all of the retellings, and there have been no few. But, of course, none is ever going to surpass the original, the classic, the 1939 film starring, uh, what's her name now? Um, Help me out. Judy Garland, thank you. That's what I I didn't write in my notes. Thank you, Judy Garland. Um, And and you may remember something of that introduction in that that classic film when our heroes, uh, Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Lion, and Toto, of course, are all introduced for the first time there to the great and, and mighty Oz. And it went like this. The smoke clears, and this giant bodiless head booms this voice. I am Oz, the great and terrible. Who are you? And Dorothy tries to respond, and he cuts her off, and the voice booms, Silence! The great and powerful Oz knows why you are here. Step forward, tin man. And the tin man kind of does this, and he steps forward, and he says, You dare to come to me for a heart, you clinking, clanking, clattering collection of collagenous junk. To the scarecrow. He then bellows, you have the effrontery to ask for a brain, you billowing bale of bovine fodder. To the lion, he says, and you, lion, at which point the lion just falls down and faints. Here's the problem. That's, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a classic film, a classic scene, of course. The problem is, is that I, I fear that, that for many of us, that's the, the great and powerful Oz. That's how we see who God is. Great and powerful, but not approachable. Great and powerful, but not approachable. And that is anything but the truth. Uh, As you've heard me say over the course of this series within a series within a series, our view of God shapes our prayers to God. Okay? Our view of God shapes our prayers to God. Now, who does Jesus, Jesus, who does he say God is and how we're to understand who he is as we go to him in prayer? He makes it very clear from the very start in this instruction that he gives. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That's who he is. And that who shapes all of the how and the what we are to pray. You see? He's told us who we're going to, who we're praying to. And then he takes us by the hand. And even from that, stemming from that, flowing from that, he shows us then how and what we are to pray with these six petitions. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first three. And the first three have to do with God's name and God's rule and God's will. It has to do with what are to be our first our, our, our first priority, our, his concerns are to be our priority in prayer. But it doesn't stop there. There are yet three more petitions, three more things that he then gives, flowing right out of his, our priority being his concerns. From that flows our needs, 
Our, our, our laying before, I'm being specific and laying our needs before Him. Our, and that being our, our need of provision, you can see this in the outline, our need of provision, our need of pardon, and our need of protection. You see, here's the thing. We've got to get our minds and hearts around that a true view of God does not eliminate our coming to Him with our needs. It establishes it. Do you see that? Our Father in heaven, knowing who it is that we come to in prayer, yes, we begin with His concerns, but it also, wedded to that, means we come to Him with our needs. In fact, I think by implication, we ha- would have to say, it, we, we are failing to, get, to grasp who He is if we are not coming to Him with our needs. We're not seeing it. We're not hearing it. Jesus tells us we are to come to God as our Heavenly Father and that should change, revolutionize the focus of our prayers. Let's look at these three things in turn. Uh, these, the ways Jesus describes our need and how we are to come to our Father in Heaven. So first, verse 11. We, we see this very clearly. It's a prayer for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for provision, for provision in all of life. He speaks of bread. Bread of, for, for most of us, I realize there, you know, some of us have gastrointestinal issues, but for most of us and through most of the history of the world, bread is understood to be a basic staple of life. And as such, Jesus clearly intends it to also be a symbol for all food and even beyond that, all of our physical needs. So it's not just bread and it's not just food. It's all of our physical needs. Bread is essential. He says, ask your father for that which is essential. Martin Luther put it this way. The bread stands for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. Those essentials to life, Jesus is saying, come, bring those requests, those needs, the the, the provision uh, for all of life before your Heavenly Father, and do so each day. And do so each day. This is not a prayer for amassing. This is not, Lord, give us this day our storehouse of bread. That's not what we see here. This is not a prayer of amassing. This is a a, a, a prayer for the immediate need. Give us today our bread for tomorrow. We are to live day by day looking to the Lord for our every need. Just like the Israelites were called to do in their wanderings through the wilderness in those years between when they left Egypt and were making their way to the promised land, and day by day were gathering up the manna sent from God's very hand, sent from heaven itself. So, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for God's provision. What what does this mean? What would it it look like to to pray in in this this way? Well, first off, let me make a clarification here. And that is, this does not rule out the need for us to work. That is not what this is, is, is about in, in any way at all. God delights to most often work through ordinary means, like our, the sweat of our brow 
and him working through that for our provision. You see, we should be thankful for not just the, the, the fruit of our labor, whether that be out in a field or in the form of a check, whatever it is, we should be thankful not just for the fruit of our labor, but for the ability to work for that fruit. All of that is from him. All of that is from him. The extraordinary as well as the ordinary means of our provision. So that would be certainly the, the, the first thing to say. This hardly rules out the need for us to work. It, it certainly is pressing home, the. and all three of these requests, by the way, do this, our utter dependence upon the Lord. Our utter dependence upon the Lord for our provision, for our every provision, for, for all of life. You see, the, the, the first century ordinary labor, as he's listening to Jesus there on that hillside beside the, on the, by the Sea of Galilee, is that ordinary labor is listening to what Jesus is talking about. Give us this day our bread for tomorrow. He understood exactly what Jesus is saying because in that setting, an illness... An injury that kept you from working for just a few days could mean disaster for your ability to, to, to provide for your, your family. They knew exactly what... The, but see, the problem is we're, that's veiled. See, what I'm trying to say is simply this. We are just as dependent on God today in the 21st century West as they were in the 1st century sitting there on that hillside. It's just as veiled from us. You ask most people, and I think probably most, many of us, maybe most of us, I don't know. Yes, most people, where do your essentials come from? Where does your, your food and your clothing and the basic essentials of life come from? You know what most people will say? Walmart and Amazon. Because it's who, the hand from which all of that comes is hidden from us, veiled from us, and all of our modern sophistication and our technology and our foolishness and our blindness. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you need to be going to your Father, saying, Father, give us your provision. Give us your provision, and then come with very specific needs in mind. He says we are to pray to our Father in heaven that changes the focus of our prayers. Okay, moving from that, moving from physical needs, he speaks to spiritual needs. And that takes us to uh, the next request, verse 11, starting in, well, I'm going to read verse 11 again. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, skipping down to verses 14 and 15, here's some commentary that Jesus gives at the end. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so this is a prayer for pardon. And it's worth noting here uh, the insight we get into the nature of sin. Jesus describes sin as being like a debt. Now, why? Because given who God is, we owe Him obedience. He's the Creator, we are the creature. Given who He is, we owe Him constant, continual, heartfelt obedience. And to the extent, which is huge, that we fail in that by sins of omission, the things we fail to do that we should, or sins of commission, the things that we, sh that we do that we shouldn't, we therein, if you will, owe him. We are debtors. You see? And with, with, every, with every one of our sins, with every, every one of these debts, we're adding to the, 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 the red in the books. 
And in addition to that, Jesus, you see there in verses 14 and 15, sin is described also as a trespass. And just think, what is a trespass? It's going somewhere you're not supposed to go. Um, which, which implies that God has these standards. He has established and revealed these standards, these um, lines, excuse me, these lanes in which we are meant to walk and these lines that we are not meant to cross. And so he's speaking here and describing, I think, giving us some insight here just to the nature of sin and by, by implication, I would say, also the necessity of forgiveness. Um, just a simple way of thinking about what forgiveness entails, what, what, he, what God does for us, he writes off the debt. He clears it off the ledger. Or he, you could say he absorbs the, the damage done by the trespass. And in his mercy and in his grace to us, he does that without strings, but at great cost to himself. It's costly to write off the debt, isn't it? It's costly to absorb the damage, isn't it? Great cost to himself in the death of his son. Which, by the way, is a clue as to what forgiveness looks like for us. Costly. Without strings. Writing it off, absorbing it, all of that. Now that then takes me to this clarifier that we need here because Jesus makes a very strong statement here, doesn't he? About forgiveness, about the relationship between our forgiving, his forgiving us, God's forgiving us, and our forgiving others. In fact, it, 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 he wants to make this point and press it so, home to us so hard, he doesn't just say it and in, in, allude to it in the prayer itself, but he comes back and at the end of the prayer, right, verses 14 and 15, he reiterates it to strengthen the, the point. Why? Well, please understand, in no way is Jesus saying here, in no way is Jesus saying here that God's forgiveness of us is conditioned on our forgiveness of others. You understand what that would mean? That would make His mercy based on our merit, which is turning the gospel upside down on its head. That would be earning His grace, earning His forgiveness, earning salvation. And that is in no way what He's speaking of here. There is a link but that's not the link. What he is saying is this. He forgives the penitent, the repentant, the one who recognizes their desperate need of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And the truly penitent will forgive. They will. It will be a fruit of their heart of having known and experience and embrace the mercy and forgiveness of God. So the prayer again is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let me put it this way. So the gospel is a message of God's transforming grace. And as the Holy Spirit takes that beautiful message and impresses it upon our hearts, increasingly we become more gracious to others. Okay, That's the way this message and God and his mercy works in our so here's the image. Imagine that you are uh, on, on, a, on a journey in a tropical jungle somewhere in South America, and you and your God, it's just you and him, and, and you're moving through this jungle, and you cross a river. You wade through it, and you come up on the other side, and to your horror, you look down and you see your legs are covered in leeches. 
and you reach down to start to pull them off. Because, of course, that's your instinct, right? And the guide stops you and says, no, no, don't do that. Because if you do that, you'll have pieces of them in your skin. That will become infected and you'll have, Ugh, you don't want to, that's even worse. What you need to do to get rid of the leeches is to bathe in a warm bath. And that will release the leeches. Here's the deal. Bathing in the gospel releases the leeches of bitterness and resentment in your heart. Bathing in the gospel is what will release the leeches of bitterness and resentment in your heart. What does it look like to pray like this? What does it look like to pray like, like this? Um, well, Jesus is certainly making clear here that there is a link between our, as I said this earlier, our relationship with, with God and our relationship with others. You could say there's a relationship between the relationships. And because of there is that relationship, that tie, that link, it allows us to do some heart's diagnosis, even as we pray, even as we're before him. You see, see if, if, if you can, if you, to the degree that we see our sin and its ugliness, and what it costs God to forgive us, we then will be compelled, impelled, propelled, to forgive. Okay? That said, if your life is typified by holding grudges, by a bitter, resentful, unforgiving spirit, and you have to go the other way and realize the hypocrisy on your part of asking God to forgive you when you're not willing to let those things go. That's certainly what Jesus, I don't have time to get into this right now, but the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, that is the clear implication of what Jesus is saying in, in that parable. Something else here to, to, to note, I would say this. We have a daily need to pray this way. All three of these prayers. We have a daily need to pray for this forgiveness. Why? Because we're daily sinning. We are daily debtors, daily trespassers in every, every way. Now, you, we've got choices before us how we can deal with that. We can blame somebody else. Okay, that's one option. We can make excuses for ourselves. We can deny it. We can try and cover it up. We can wallow in it. We can resolve to work harder. Or we can ask for the Lord's pardon. We can go to him as Jesus is telling us here, saying, Father, I need your pardon. And then come to him with specifics. Not just a veiled, eh, you know, I messed up. But I mean the specific, go deep, detailed, and all the ugliness with what you did or failed to do. Jesus says, come to your Father in heaven. And it changes the focus of our prayers. Okay, so we begin with praying with the, for these physical needs. We then come praying for our spiritual needs, and that would be beginning with pardon. But then that leads to this. Logically, not just pardon for what we've done in the past, but protection for what we might well do in the future. And so that takes us to verses, uh, verse 13. Let me back up, start at the beginning again. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, this is speaking to our dependence on the Lord. Um, protection. Protection, you, I, I put it this way, even from ourselves, 
Protection even from ourselves. The reality of trials. I mean, the, the word that, that is used here in, the, in most of our English translations, the ESV, uh, says, um, lead us not into temptation, that word, depending on this context, depending on, on uh, the, the tenor and, the, and, and what's being said in, that, in the Greek, um, can mean either temptation or trial. And so, uh, a way to understand this would be this. Know that, God never tempts. Okay? James makes that quite clear. God never tempts. That said, He does allow times of trial and testing in our lives. So the trials and testing, it's not a matter of if they'll come, it's really a matter of when, and then how we'll respond to them. And most often, in those times when when the pressure is on, we will be tempted. And sadly, in the course of the temptations, we fall. We fail. The debt, the trespass. Why? Because we're broken. Because we're twisted up inside. Because we're bent away from Him. So the prayer is really this. If you want to paraphrase it or expand on it. Do, please, do not bring us into temptation. Don't bring us into a trial in which we will fall. Protect us from ourselves because we know how weak we are. But it's not just that, not just protection from ourselves. It's also from Satan, not just from evil, but from the very evil one. Satan throughout the Bible is described as a liar and a deceiver. An accuser, a tempter bent on destruction. Matthew 4, this is Matthew 6, but if you went back and looked at Matthew 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness where he does battle with Satan, that may well be informing why this, partly at least, why this is being included in this prayer. Now Satan is but a fallen angel. He is no match for Jesus. But we are no match for him. And so there is this prayer. Deliver us. Save us. Protect us from His schemes, from His wiles, from His desire to tear us apart and tear us asunder. Deliver us. Deliver us. This is a prayer for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What would it mean to pray in this way? It's to recognize our vulnerability. That we have an enemy. That there is, we were even talking about this in, our, in the college and careers class. We're doing a screw tape letters study these last several months, so it's coming up all the time. There's so much more going on than we can see with our physical eyes. And just like I said earlier in regards to that point on, on provision, that our predecessors got it better than we do, the sense in which we are dependent upon God for everything. They oftentimes got this better than we do too. That there is in fact a spiritual battle. And it is not just materialism and not just materialistic or a secular perspective that what you see is all that there is. There's so much more. And we are so much more vulnerable in in that battle than we realize. And, And that is part of the implication that we're seeing here. And so that we are being called to watch 
to be on our guard. Just like the prayer you know, took for His provision does not preclude our need to work, our, our prayer for His protection does not preclude our need to watch. Remember that little song, that little ditty some of us learned as children? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Sometimes what this means, the implication of some of this, and our vulnerability in the spiritual battle means we need to watch where we go and what we do and maybe the screens that we look at. Because this battle is real. And the enemy's not playing. This is a prayer for protection. Oh, Father, we need your provision and your pardon and your protection. Oh, Father, help us. This is a comprehensive prayer. These three, I guess I should say together. Alluded to this earlier, it touches on all of life. And as a corollary of, that, a corollary of that, it tells us that we are utterly dependent upon God in all of life. Or as I said earlier, this little axiom, our view of God, is connecting these things together, our view of God shapes our prayers to God. Now, who is God? Jesus tells us. He is our Father in heaven. This is absolutely critical. So much hinges on the degree to which we are understanding this and, and how it impacts our prayer lives. Jesus says He is our Father in heaven. Are we hearing that? Do we believe that? Really? Truly? C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, many of you are familiar with those. A classic of children's literature, which is actually suitable for adults as, as well. More than suitable, I would argue. The third in the series, it's, it's seven books. Seven books. Um, the third of which is Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's the story of a seagoing voyage, uh, a, a journey, a search for these seven missing nobles. And over the course of the journey... One of the islands that our intrepid explorers, our heroes, come to visit is the is Coriacan's Island. And Coriacan is this wizard, and he has been charged by the great uh, uh, lion Aslan to care for these uh, island dwellers called the Duffers. Now, these Duffers are foolish. They are stubborn. They are difficult to deal with. They are rebellious, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, all of it. It gets so bad that Coriacan the wizard finally has to cast a spell on them for their own good to take their two legs and make them into one and give them one giant foot. Making them the duffel pods, but still the duffers. Now they are so angry, so put out by this, that they get a hold of Coriacan's spell book and they cast us another spell on themselves to make them invisible because they thought they looked so ridiculous that they didn't want anyone to, be, to see them. And you know, you, you read through this story and you read through this whole deal of Coriacan's Island and all of that and these crazy duffers. And, and the fact is, they, they, well, they saw their, the wizard, the caretaker, this wise, good one, given stewardship over them. As not, they saw him as nothing but a tyrant. And, and the fact is they are ridiculous, these duffers. They're ridiculous, in, not just in their appearance, but in their behavior. And they're so foolish in their suspicions and their response to him. And it would almost be comical 
until the reader begins to see themselves in the duffers. My fellow duffers, do you know who God is? Do you know who Jesus calls us, invites us, bids us to pray to? Our Father in heaven, He is not ignorant, needing to be informed and advised, nor is He hesitant, needing to be badgered or persuaded. He is great in His mercy and His might towards you. Do you know that? Do you know that? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to believe, to know, that that's precisely who you are towards us. As followers of Jesus, we are children of the King. May we know that, and may we know the wonder and the freedom and the security and the joy of all of that. May our, indeed, as we see in this prayer, may our longings be for your concerns. Above all else, your name, your rule, your will, not ours, but yours. And may we be quicker, having come increasingly to see who you are towards us. Quicker to come, gladly to come with our needs and with specifics. Our provision, our pardon, our protection. We are dependent upon you in everything. Absolutely everything. And so help us please, please to gladly gladly go to you for one another and for ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing now here towards the very end of our service in the giving of our tithes and our offerings.